Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Oh, guys, how fun was worship tonight? I know for me, I came in tonight, I was like, I'm kind of sleepy, I can, but I can do this, I'll make it. And as soon as worship hit, I was like palpable joy in this place. It was so cool. And just to be able to say, I was like sitting there thinking, I was like, how many places in the world right now can you walk in and feel joy? Not many, there's not a ton, but in the presence of Jesus, there's joy and there's peace. And like tonight, I'm like, oh, it's just so good to be in the house of God and to be with you guys, masks, distance, whatever. I'm so glad to be here. And it is fun to be with you. And tonight, we actually have a super fun value. You guys know we're in our vision series. We're moving through our 10 core values. We're on value eight tonight, which is that we celebrate every person by creating a culture of honor. And it's, the values have been crazy. I feel like each one that we come to within this series, I'm like, oh, that's so needed in this moment. That's so needed in this moment. That's so needed in this moment. And again, I say the same thing. I can't think of a better week for this value to come into play, a better week to talk about how we celebrate and honor other people in a culture and a moment that is about shame and tearing the other person down. So to come tonight, I feel like Jesus is just asking us to slow down, to look at him, and to stop and really think about why we say these things are true. Why do we come and we say, oh yeah, we wanna be a people that celebrate every person, that create a culture of honor, that believe this value with no disclaimers. We don't get an out when there's an election going on. We don't get an out when we're in the midst of a pandemic. We don't get an out if we just don't like someone enough. We are a people who celebrate every person by creating a culture of honor. And that's, that's every person, no disclaimers, no addendums. And I think tonight, God is calling us to just stop, to lay down everything that we've been feeling at his feet, and to believe again that his way is the only one worth living. And it's such a fun, it's such a fun way to live. I love following Jesus, because to be able to lay aside all of that of hatred, bitterness, and be able to say, oh no, I'm actually gonna be someone who honors people, that's fun. To get to partner with the God of the universe in creative ways of how do I celebrate people, that's so fun. And so to get to come tonight and say, yes, this is what we believe, to step into that invitation again and say, yes, this is what we want. We want to be these people who create this culture, who find the joy that is by his side. Like I think we felt tonight the joy that is in his presence. We wanna be those people. So let's get into it, huh? Now, if you guys didn't know already, we did this series when we very first started, and Alex went through the 10 core values. And when we talked about this value, he went through the what is honor, why do we honor, how do we honor. It was a super thorough dive into honor, what it means, what it looks like practically. So I would really encourage you guys to go back and listen to that value. If you haven't listened to the original value series, go through those. It's super cool to even hear that like original version and then come to the ones that have been happening through this 10 weeks and be able to see just people's interpretation, even how the values fit then and fit now. It's really cool. So I would encourage you to go listen to that. But for tonight, I wanna take this value and kind of parse it into the two main things that we see within it. Why each is foundational to us as a follower of Jesus and then what it looks like to bring the two together and really live this value out. 
And these two things that we see are celebration and honor. Celebration and honor are both radical in action. In a culture of cynicism, like the one that we live, a people of celebration actually speak hope. And it's a counterculture, it's counter to what we see every day. In a culture that shames, a people of honor actually breaks strongholds in people's lives. They invite them to dream bigger for themselves, to see a life that is actually full of potential. So first, I wanna look at what it means to celebrate. And there's no better place to look at celebration than the life of Jesus and what he gives us as reason to celebrate. Now we're gonna um, be looking at quite a bit of scripture tonight and hopping around a bit, but this first passage I actually want you guys to turn with me. We're gonna be in Luke 15, so find that in your Bibles, on your apps, whatever you got. And these are a few parables that Jesus tells that are probably gonna be familiar to you per that uh, status of churchgoers that we got earlier today, but we're gonna take a look at them and what it means for celebration. So the first story that we're gonna look at is in verse one of chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, before we move to the next parable, I want you guys to really hold on to those last two verses. We're gonna read the next parable about the woman and the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And lastly, we're gonna look at the parable of the prodigal son. And this is one that many of you know. The son takes the inheritance, he leaves his father, kind of disgraces his family, squanders the inheritance. He's living in this literal pigsty and he decides to go home. He says, at least I can be a servant in my father's house. So we're gonna pick the story up in verse 21 when the son comes home. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And the older son in this celebration, he gets angry, right? Because he's like, this isn't fair. This, he betrayed you and you're letting him just come home. But we pick up in verse 31 at the father's response. And he says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It would seem that Jesus thinks that people coming into alignment with the heart of God is worthy of celebration. That he thinks that when earth aligns with the heart of heaven that we are to celebrate. Um, John Tyson in his book, The Beautiful Resistance, put it this way. Jesus insisted that the work of God demands celebration. He is in the world bringing good news, welcoming the outsider, restoring the lost, binding up the broken. 
The question is, will we join in the feast or issue excuses? You see, there's a tendency to be like the brother of the story, the prodigal son, to be incapable of celebration because we're so focused on what we deserve or our own advancement, our own good, or even what is fair in the world. To not celebrate because there's so much wrong in the world. To not celebrate because maybe it even seems wrong to even do so. But Jesus saw it different. He would say that the story of just one person coming home to him is worth a feast. He would say that when the thoughts of man align with the thoughts of heaven, that the angels stop and they applaud. That it is worthy of celebration when we see God's work and move in the world. And as those who know and hold the goodness of the gospel as truth, we have the opportunity to walk with God again. We have the opportunity to know his voice, to be known by him, loved by him, to walk his way. We have the capacity to celebrate in any circumstance because of what we know to be true. We were made to celebrate because of what we know to be true, of the God whose image we bear and that we follow. Amen. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Celebration is a reaction to his presence in the world. And as a people who have eyes to hear and ears to see who know his presence lives in us, we don't actually have an excuse to not be celebratory with the truth that we carry. We are the walking temple of God and we should actually be the most celebratory group that the world has seen. And now I know that there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance, but the world that I see around us has gotten really good at the mourning part, has gotten really good at being able to kind of see what's wrong and just really, I don't know, take it all in, to be sad. And that's okay, that's part of life, that's what it is. But I think followers of Jesus have forgotten how to dance. That there's a point where Jesus says, oh, you I turn your mourning into dancing. <laughs> the scriptures show us that yes, life is hard, trials are real, there is a time for mourning, there's a place of loss to really wrestle with it, and God is in that place. I'm not saying that he's not, he's walking with you in that place where we experience the worst, where we feel the worst, where we feel that there's no hope, but, Jesus doesn't say that we get to stay there. It's not where we were created to stay. Right. Psalm 30, 11 says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. It would seem that mourning is a pit stop to the celebration we were created for. That as a follower of Jesus, he doesn't leave us there. That we were created for the latter. God created us with the capacity to encounter his goodness, to know him as our joy, and to know the truth that leads us to rejoicing. I mean, think about what we as followers of Jesus know to be true, even if we think about it in part. That right when you, when you meet Jesus, he doesn't leave you the same. That he's told people that there can be on earth as it is in heaven. That his thoughts toward us are good. That the gospel tells us that Jesus came with compassion to take a people that didn't even want him and invite them into what it looks like to walk in the presence of God again. That he would sacrifice himself so that we could again know him, be in relationship with him, have his spirit. This is good news. And it's good news that requires celebration. It's called good news because how could you not celebrate it? This is reality. It's not just saying, oh, these are some like positive things I'm gonna throw out there. No, if you follow Jesus, this is your reality. This is the world that you live in. This is what he is saying is true. And by saying it's anything less, we're actually discarding truth and taking something lesser. We're believing a lie. The reality of the gospel makes it impossible to stay in mourning. 
He's taking us from glory to glory. He is that good. We believe that he's that good. We are a people of celebration because we know him. It's that simple. Like the song we sang earlier, I will rejoice in the simple gospel. Like the gospel, if that's all that we hold, is enough for us to rejoice our whole life over, 10 times over, for us to be a people who rejoice. Now, as a celebrating people, celebration, I think it totally can. It looks like dancing in worship. I like to dance sometimes. It's really fun. It looks like feasting. It looks like parties. I heard a story. It was actually in that same book I mentioned earlier of a gal who she throws a birthday party every year on the day that she met Jesus, the day that she got saved, like a literal party. I'm like, there's really fun, creative ways to celebrate the things that God has done. And that's, that's cool to think of those things, to go, go that hard. I like it. But there's also daily practical ways that we live in rhythms of celebration as people of God. I have just a few examples that I wrote down just so we can kind of bring it to what does it look like to have these in our daily rhythms as people who walk and live in this world. What does it look like to be a people of celebration? And so there's kind of two groups. I broke it up into personal rhythms of celebration and then our rhythms of celebration together. When we look at our personal rhythms of celebration, it looks like one, living in remembrance. We remember what God has done. We look back on his victories in our life. We look back on God's goodness and we let those stories bring back in us celebration. To look back and see what he's done. We can't, we can't stay focused on what he can't do because we're like, oh no, God, we've seen you do it once, do it again. And we celebrate him for who he is. The second way that we live as a people of celebration is by living in truth. It's the scriptures. We spend time in the scriptures. We spend time in his word. We dwell on the truth of what he said because the truth of the scriptures really do speak a better word. And when we believe them, when we believe Jesus, when we take him at his word, rejoicing is our sensical reaction. Rejoicing is what makes sense that we would be a people who celebrate as we see the truth of what he's done and what he will do. The third thing is living in gratitude. So take time to recognize God's goodness in your day. Small things, big things, whatever it is. We, um, we've been doing the online women's Bible study. It's been so sweet to go through 1 John. Bree's been doing an amazing job leading that group. And it's just been packed with truth, a really sweet time, even over Zoom. It's great. And um, last week, Melanie Dobson, some of you guys probably know her, but she shared with us this last Thursday and she talked about her gratitude journal and she was getting to the end of it. It was like, it was big. It was like this. And she's like, I'm on my last page. It was like 14,000 things or something. I was like, wow, that's good. She's like, I write down the things that God has done. I take count of the things that he's done, the things I'm thankful for. In a day I stop and say, oh God, I'm so thankful for this. So thankful for this. And even that circles back to remembrance, right? When we take time to really take account for gratitude gratitude to say, oh, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I see in the world that God is doing that is good. We actually get to come back to those things too, to remember them. And I thought that was such a sweet example of just that daily walk, but how it builds up to just this like library of gratitude. It was so cool. I want to start one now. Go Melanie. But I think it's those personal rhythms that we get into that makes, makes us, makes me a person of celebration. But it's not just the personal, right? It's what we do together. So we have rhythms of celebration together. The first is corporate celebration, which is kind of like what we did tonight. It's worship and prayer with the family of God. Not kind of like, it is what we did tonight. It is celebrating God together, coming and aligning together and saying, we're gonna look at the main thing with one another. We're gonna celebrate the goodness of God together. And there's something when we come together that that, it's it's different than when we're by ourselves. I think we all can attest to that. Even getting to be We had months of not being able to come to church and coming back, we're like, there's something in the atmosphere that shifts when a group
group of people come together and align saying, no, we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that's why this house is a place of joy when maybe the rest of the world is not. That we get to come and say, oh no, we celebrate who God is together. We take him at his word together. And that's corporate celebrations. To come together, to talk of who he is, to sing of who he is, to agree with one another that God is as good as he says he is. Another thing that we do for celebration together is feasting. It's a fun word, kept it. It's sharing a meal with one another. Just as feast in the scriptures marked celebration of what God had done, um, meals together can mark celebration of God's moves in our lives. Like what is better than coming to a table with people you love, sharing abundance and sharing gratitude for the fact that we, we are alive, we are breathing, we are eating, we are enjoying. There's something in that that goes beyond the natural and invites Jesus into that environment. In Jewish culture, we see certain feasts mark pivotal days. They were moments to stop and celebrate the history with God. And even in the New Testament church, we see feasting as a characteristic of the people of God. Acts 2.46 says, day by day continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Breaking bread together with gladness and thankfulness is a characteristic of the church. That's part of what, you guys have been in Saints Hill, we love to eat together. We do Saints Grill, Saints Grill, they just talked about it. They cook hot dogs at the skate park, love to eat together. In the summer, we grill outside. We love to share a meal together. Before COVID happened, we love to do our family potlucks in the fireside room. There's something about getting around food in the midst of each other's company and turning our eyes to God's goodness that is just this celebratory event that we're supposed to partake in. So even now, set the table, get with people, rejoice in him. The third way that we do celebration together is relational celebration. With the mind of Christ, seeing the work he has done and is doing in his people and calling it to the forefront to be celebrated. We look at people and we say, the people you're in relationship with, and we say, oh, here's how I see God working in you. I'm gonna celebrate it. Here is what I see him doing in you. I'm gonna celebrate it. Here's maybe even a dream that's bigger than what you have for yourself. Let me tell you and let's celebrate together that he has dreams for you that big. God made us to be people that celebrate one another that way. And that's the kind of relational celebration that connects us to the second piece, to what a culture of honor looks like. This is where those two parts collide. Because to celebrate what God is doing, to be a people of celebration, it's crucial to live in those rhythms, in our personal and our corporate rhythms. Not in empty positivities, but it, we're focused on reality together seeing the truth about what Jesus says about the world and about life and his kingdom, but also so important to see the truth about what he says about the person on your right and on your left, the people in your life, what he says about who they are. That's the kind of celebration that characterizes honor. Honor is when we're able to see and celebrate what God is doing in another person, to be able to hear the identity that God is speaking over them, the truest things about them, and call them to attention. Honor may in fact be our most important form of celebration because it invites people to believe the identity that the Father offers them. As Bill Johnson would say, you've probably heard us quote it before, a culture of honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. And as followers of Jesus, we give honor away freely because it is the acknowledgement that God's heart and mind are reflected in every person and that his plans for them are good. Romans 12, nine through 13 says this in speaking to what love and action looks like. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. 
Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. That verse 10 where he talks about honor, the English Standard Version would say, outdo one another in showing honor. That the competition that should be happening among believers is not, can I outdo them in success? Can I outdo them in how much knowledge that I've accumulated? Can I outdo them with my hard work? But it's, how can I outdo them in showing honor? Like, can we compete with each other and who can give the most honor away? To celebrate what God is doing so much so that the thought is, oh, how can I show honor today? Who can I elevate today? What am I seeing in them that God is doing that I can bring to attention? This is what the love of a follower of Jesus looks like. And when we look at people, we would be so consumed and excited with their potential that God is speaking over them that we could not stumble over what they are not. And when I say rather than, or when Bill says rather than stumbling, and now when I say rather than stumbling over what they're not, we're saying that we don't get to focus on the lack in people's lives. The things that annoy us about them, that we're unable to honor. No, we're called to see the beauty that God is cultivating in them, the promise that surrounds them. It isn't saying that there's no place for calling out sin in a fellow believer's life. Accountability is that you would give an account for one's ability. And as fathers of Jesus, we know that he has given us the ability to live without sin, without fear, without any stronghold that the world possesses. Like 1 John 5, 4 says, everyone born of God has overcome the world. So a culture of honor is actually the place for loving accountability. It's actually the place for holy confrontation because we see people with God's eyes. We can see the potential that he's created them for. So we can see when the grip of sin is actually stealing what is true about them. We can see when the life of a fellow believer, when they're missing what, his, what he's truly speaking over them. This kind of confrontation actually focuses on the identity and the truth of that person, and it invites them out of sin to live into what is true of them, rather than saying, oh, your sin is what is true about you. Yeah. It is when we see the sin of a person as what is truest about them that we give the enemy a stronghold in their life. That is when we're letting the world define our perspective about people and not Jesus. There, uh, my husband Tyler does something, it's like kind of a joke most of the time, but it works every time, mostly. When we'll be in a fight or I'll be being, I can be kind of a, brat is the word that I use. I feel like it works. I can be a kind of a brat sometimes. And when I get in those moments, Tyler will look at me and goes, B, that's not you. And I'm like, what am I gonna say? No, it's, it is me. I'm angry. I'm an angry person. I'm a mean person. No, I'm like, actually, you're right. That's not me. And there is sometimes when I'm really in a mood that I will say, no, I'm, I'm a bad person, but not usually. But that in like a joking way is what we're called to do for each other, is to say, hey, I know what God says about you and this, the sin in your life, that's not you. You are what he says about you, not even what you think you are right now. You are what he says is true about you, not what the world says is true about you. You are what he says is true about you. You're not the worst thing about you. And that's what honoring accountability does for people. It reminds them who they truly are in Jesus, that sin cannot hold a stronghold in their life and it invites people to walk in what is true about them again. We celebrate who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. First Peter 2.17 is another verse we're gonna look at when it comes to honor. It says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Remember how our value says we honor every person? In case you're wondering when we say every, it's every, it's everybody. And first Peter would go so specific as to say, honor the emperor. 
And I mean, we're in a time of pretty great tension when it comes to this right now. It can be really hard to show honor to people that don't align with us, whether it's politically or socially or whatever it is. We sit in the middle right now of great political tension in our country. It's election time, right? Where people are at odds. We've been seeing ads for months of people just to take down the other person. I had somebody from my family call me just, this was maybe day before yesterday, and we're like, hey, not coming to Thanksgiving this year, I just can't hang with the talk. I can't be around like the way that people are gonna talk about politics. And I get it, because regardless of what size, side that you land on, it's, it's a tough time. But regardless of what side you land on, we are called to show honor to the opposite. Think of the politician that you agree with the most, or maybe you could care less about politics. Think about the person in the public sphere that you disagree with the most, that really makes your blood boil, and then stop and ask the Lord what he thinks about them. Odds are, his eyes for them hold love. His eyes for them hold promise. His eyes for them hold potential. That he would move you from bitterness to prayer. That you wouldn't be allowed to stay in a place of hate. You wouldn't be allowed to stay in a place where your blood is boiling because he would say, no, lay it down and bring them to me because I actually have life for them and life abundant. That you would be a person, that we would be a people who are able to truly love our enemies, not just in word, but in action that we would be a church family that covers our governmental leaders, that covers people in our public sphere with love and prayer and are able to say, God, give me your eyes for them. I want your eyes for them. And let's even bring it closer to home with your friends, with your family, with your spouse in times of division where all you can think about is how much that person annoys you or how much you disagree with them or how wrong that they are. Still your heart and ask God what he thinks about them. I haven't been uh, married very long, but I have had a couple friends ask me recently, What's, what are some things that are like keys to a successful marriage? I don't know very much. But what I do know is that honor is key in marriage, in all our relationships, in heated moments, in moments where bitterness is holding my heart. If I stop and I ask the Lord, God, what do you think about Tyler? He's not gonna agree with me in my heated moments. He's gonna speak a better word about Tyler. He's gonna speak a better word about people in my life. And it's when, there's times I really wanna hold my bitterness. I'm like, I'm not even gonna ask the Lord because I know what he's gonna say. (laughs) And I don't wanna hear it right now. But if we, that's our constant relational choice is will we hold on to anger or bitterness or will we choose honor? Will we choose to partner with God in championing the identity and vision he has for the people in our lives? Will we engage in holy confrontation from a place of love, reminding each other what we were truly made for? That's the culture that we want. (laughs) That's a culture of honor. And with most importance, I wanna look at the life of Jesus and how he honored. He didn't have any social filter for honor. (laughs) Jesus honored those that were hated. We've heard the story of Zacchaeus, right? The, The tax collector, and they were hated in their time. But look how Jesus honors him in Luke 19. Verse five says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus honors the hated with his presence. I must stay at your house. Jesus honors the hated by speaking their identity over them, who they are. Oh no, he too is a son of Abraham. He honors him by speaking value and identity over him in the midst of a culture that absolutely hated him. 
I can only imagine if Jesus had a social media account and put out something cool about Zacchaeus, like, love Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, cancel Jesus. But he would have. <laughs> he honored the hated and he honored the unworthy. Think about the story of the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Jesus asks that those who are without guilt throw the first stone and they walk away. And Jesus' response is this in verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. God's response to the unworthy is not condemnation, but it's an invitation to a new life in him that she could leave behind a life of sin and he again honors people with a call to the life they were made for. And he also honors those close to him. Nearness to his presence on its own is enough to elevate people. Just get close to Jesus and you will elevate other people and you will be elevated. That's what he does. But Jesus makes a point of intentional honor to those near him. I think about the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, his stories of friendship with his disciples. But this story also caught my attention as I was studying um, for this teaching. In Mark 1, verse 16 through 17, he's um, calling Simon and Andrew. It says, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. Jesus honored them by seeing that they could be more than they dreamed. He saw a couple fishermen fishing in the sea and said, oh no, you, you'll be fishers of men. He honored them by inviting them into a kingdom reality. And when they said yes to him, they got to experience it. They got to experience the life that they were made for. Jesus' ministry as he walked in step with the spirit was one of calling people to kingdom reality, to the identity that God has had for them from the beginning. He shows us what it looks like to honor people by calling out their worth and place as image bearers of God as partners in his kingdom. And just like Jesus, we don't show honor because of social categories. We don't show honor to only people we agree with or that culture agrees with. We show honor to all people as image bearers of God himself. The last verse that we'll look at in regards to honor is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Christ-like honor seeks to make the unseen seen. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Do you see people that have fruit flowing from their lives? Do you know people who are doing kingdom work, who are after the things that his heart is after? Do you know people who are being great parents, who are being great friends, great spouses? We are to acknowledge these things in each other, to hold them in the highest regard. This means sending a text to someone that you noticed that they put the work in, that you saw them set their mind on the kingdom and being like, hey, I saw that, I noticed it, that was awesome. That's the work meeting where you stop and say, hey, I saw how much work and intention you put into that report, thank you. Like I acknowledge your time and your energy, that you honor people's hard work. That means sitting around a dinner table and embarrassing one another by just calling out the good work that you've seen in that week by saying, I saw you do this, it was so beautiful. I saw you treat someone well, it was so beautiful. I saw you think about God in a moment where you could have held on to bitterness, that was beautiful. And you call it out in one another and it starts to build and define a culture. 
Uh, Andrew Fleming actually gave me a word right before I came out to teach this. And he was like, I think that as we talk about honor, the families in our church are going to be shaped by honor. They're gonna be shaped by that kind of conversation that I'm talking about, this kind of elevating one another, shaping one another, calling identity out in one another. And he was like, and when those families leave, they will change the world. Because if your guys' houses, it, there's a good amount of you here. If each of your houses is defined by a culture of honor, that is going to change this city. It will not stay the same because they will see families who only elevate one another. They will see families who compete only in how they can honor one another and it is going to change things. Yeah, it's good. This culture is built by each of us. It's not just the leaders that you see on stage who are gonna move culture forward. It's each of us, each of our homes as we acknowledge one another. We acknowledge what God is doing. When, rhythm, when rhythms of celebration over what God has done collide with our relationships, it allows us to honor people well. To see what God has done, is doing, and will do in one another is one of the most powerful and the most fun things we will get to do as the family of God. This kind of celebration it is, it's gonna push back against that normality of cynicism that we see around us. It says, no, the cynic is not the one full of wisdom, but the one who can celebrate, the one who can have the eyes of God for other people, that is where wisdom is found. This level of honor, it defies a culture of shame. In a, like, in a literal cancel culture with media shaming, social stigmas, whatever you wanna look at, honor says that whoever you are, Jesus would call you redeemed. Jesus would call you worthy. Jesus would call you as someone that he wants in his kingdom, that he wants to know, that he looks on all people with that kind of love, with that kind of possibility. And honor calls people to higher ground. It calls them to where they were made for. And that's what we should do too. When shame seeks to bury people, no, followers of Jesus say, no, you're called higher. Shame cannot bury you. That we would celebrate one another by creating a culture of honor. It resists the way of the world. It is partnering with God in his redemptive way. And to know that when we take a seat at his table, the undeserving and the unworthy are given his worth and his honor. Jesus can freely give away honor and invite us to do the same because it's all been given to him. All glory, all honor, it is Jesus's. Second Peter 1.17 says, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. In Revelation 4.11, it says, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. All glory and honor belongs to Jesus. He is worthy of it all. And he gives honor, partnership, and celebration away freely to people, to us. We do not need to fear because of who we follow. We don't need to fear elevating one another. God's not gonna run out of this honor to give. He will not run out of honor and glory to give. He has it all. And so Jesus invites us into this kind of reckless celebration and honor of one another. That we would lavish it on one another. Like we talked about before, outdo one another in it in elevating each other and show the world how God designed us to live with no fear in love. In this, um, this last season, we've had a few, Tyler and I have had a few friends who have come to us and just been like, you know, I'm kind of over the church. Like everything that I've seen in it just feels like it doesn't really apply to me anymore. I'm gonna try some other things. 
see, see what's up elsewhere. And I get sometimes the stories that people are coming from, from places of pain, places of past hurt, places where um, the church has not been what it should be. And I get that. But I think that we cannot deny Jesus' love for his church. And as I stop tonight and we stop and we say, okay, what kind of, ch- what kind of church culture does God even talk about? If it's what we're talking about here, the church's mission is beautiful. It's beautiful and it's good and it's needed. It's not something that I can just kind of take part in sometimes so that I can leave and maybe I'll come back later. No, this is crucial to our walk together that we would take part in what it looks like to be his church. My reaction as we learn about this is sign me up again. This is the kind of family that I am in for, that I'm in for forever is this family of God, this kingdom family who would elevate one another and honor one another. We find in the family of God exactly what we were created for. A community of people who can honor any and every person, who outdo one another in elevating people and who have no fear in love. That's part of Jesus' grand vision for his church. And it's not outdated, it's not arbitrary, it is not needless. The world does not need people who call in the name of Jesus to leave the church to try to be more like Jesus, but rather for the church to be what she has always been called to be. The bride of Christ who is able to show the world what it looks like to be in love with the king of the universe. That is our call. And tonight, that's our invitation again. It's just to say, to say yes to him again. I'm gonna right now, Austin, you can come on up. Prayer team, you can come up to the front. I think tonight there's a few invitations on the table for us as we sit in this value. The first is that if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what it's like to be a part of the family of God, if you have not said yes to his invitation to let the old self die, to walk in newness with him, to accept the sacrifice of what he paid for you, to get to know what your identity is as a new creation, that's on offer for you tonight. Our prayer team is gonna be up front and they would love to pray with you about what it looks like to know Jesus for the first time, get to talk to you about that good news of the gospel. For those of you who follow Jesus, who are um, a part of this church, I think it's time once again to say just yes to what it looks like to have this, um, this as our culture, as a church family, to practice this kind of love as we celebrate and honor one another. So I encourage you as we go into this ministry time to actually look at the people on your right and on your left and ask the question of how can I honor them? How can I honor the person next to me? Ask Jesus, God, what are your eyes for them? And I'm actually gonna have you guys stand up with me right now. As we get ready to ask ask that question that each of you would be able to the people on your right and your left speak what is true about them. And the third thing that I would have for you guys in this time of prayer is that if you're somebody out there who's feeling unseen or you're feeling unworthy or you're not sure what your identity is or you're feeling shaken, please come forward and get prayer from our team that we would get to just speak identity over you. That's what we love about prophecy is it's God's thoughts given to us that people get to speak over you, um, your identity, your worth, what he's saying about you is such a sweet thing. So if you need that, please come forward. If any of those words resonate with you, we'd love to pray with you. And the rest of us, let's celebrate him together and worship. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church.